Welcome back, everybody, to the Self Storage Income Podcast. We have another incredible episode lined up for you today. But before we get into that, huge shout out to all of our amazing sponsors Janice International, Store Local, Live Oak Bank, and Tenant Inc. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You guys probably hear us talking about these guys on the podcast all the time. Janice International, tons of amazing people, tons of amazing products, services, their Noki service, their R3 program, all these different aspects to help you build an amazing storage facility or upgrade your storage facility. Uh, just a fantastic group. Store local. It's honestly one of the biggest threats to self-storage is, is market consolidation and everything that goes along with that. So enter Store Local, the largest storage co-op in the world. Just amazing people again, tons of tons of awesome people there and uh, amazing solutions to bring everybody's resources together and uh, utilize those in an effective way to be able to compete and also uh, thrive in a world of competition with some of these larger REITs and the big players in the self-storage industry. Check out Store Local. Amazing, amazing opportunities there. Live Oak Bank. I don't know how many of you guys came to our live event in Coeur d'Alene just this past year, but uh, we had some amazing conversations with Live Oak Bank there, and they were probably one of the most popular uh, <laughs> topics there in our, our breakout sessions. And And people want to know. They, they want to know the financing. You guys want to know what the solutions are, what the deals look like, all these different aspects to financing. Live Oak Bank is that answer specifically for self-storage. They specialize in storage, which is just incredible. There's no learning curve for them to understand the asset. They know it. They've been there before, and they can help you see things that you might not even be seeing yourself. So Live Oak Bank, amazing. Check the link in the show notes. And last but not least, Tenant Inc., Tenant Inc. is an incredible slew of products and services, essentially, for your storage facilities to help automate, to help streamline, to help optimize your business and your storage facility. They've got uh, their Hummingbird platform, Nectar platform, uh, their Mariposa platform. Just to scrape the surface here, their, their property software, the big thing about this is the API is open. So you guys can actually, you, you own your data, you can use other third parties and back that into your systems. It's not this closed system that, that only uses proprietary X, Y, and Z. You guys have total control over your data, total control over these various aspects of running your business, uh, running your storage facility. And uh, they just got some amazing products. Again, these are storage owner operators that have created and developed these solutions. And uh, it, it's just an amazing platform. So check it out. Without further ado, guys, here's the episode. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome back, everybody, to the Self-Storage Income Podcast. You've got a uh, heck of an episode coming up today. Uh, we've got two phenomenal guests joining us again here. They've joined us before on the podcast and also at our live event in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. We've got Andrew and John joining us today. Um, AJ, what do you think, man? You excited for this one or what? Holy cow. We have so much to talk about. It was just like, we got to get these guys back on because... 
man, the market over the last year, what's been happening. It's just like we, you know, we want to get on here and really see what what they're seeing and talk about it because it's it's a wild, wild ride right now. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Well, let's uh, let's not waste any more time. Andrew, John, welcome back, guys. Appreciate it, guys. Good to see you again. Yeah, you guys, too. So, you know, last time you guys were on and everybody you can go back and uh, hear that episode because uh, it was absolutely amazing. These guys are completely crushing it. You guys are at uh, well over 100 facilities, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. 125 now. And we got another eight or so we're closing on in March as of right now. So awesome. Hey, we're just trying to keep up with you guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah, well, you're doing a great job. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Well, it, to kick it off, you know, guys, tell us what you're seeing out there. You're all over. You're in tons of different states. You're buying. You've got developments, expansions. You, you know, you got your finger on the market. What is going on? What are you seeing out there? John, you and me? <laughs> Go for it. I mean, it's lunacy. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, before you hit the record button, we we're just kind of briefly touching. And, you know, I know I said it, you know, in Coeur d'Alene or, you know, on the podcast previous, but uh, it's crazy. You know, COVID, I really think cats out the bag. This industry is no longer a flyover industry. Um, you know, it's been progressing like that. And I think one of the other things is um, people are no longer scared to go into like what I would call being tertiary market or people are no longer shying away from a facility that might have you know, just gravel and not blacktop and pavement. So, you know, the competition is as fierce as ever, uh, you know, not to sound maybe like a broken record, but again, you know, you call a facility, you try and find a true, you know, off market uh, mom pop operator and they're as sophisticated as ever. You know, again, I, it's, it's very seldom anymore where it's like, all right, you know, the first question is if you want to buy what's the cap rate, you know, a few years ago, you're educating them on what a cap rate is or how to evaluate this property. So it's absolutely bananas. It's, you know, it's, I think as John said, illogical, you know, there's often times where it's, you know, I'm just not seeing, you know, how some of these groups organizations are able to make these numbers work. And I get, you know, it might be more patient money. There might be cheaper debt and equity, whatever your, you know, structure looks like. But again, it's, I'm seeing some of these things. It's like, I think, you know, still a, you know, patron your book is there's no margin of error or stupidity, as you said, on some of these deals. So it's gotten harder and harder for us, but, you know, we're still poised for growth. I think, uh, you know, one thing I'm proud of is it's really allowed John and I to kind of step back and hone in on our operations and our operations team. Yeah, I'm proud as ever of the people we have within this organization. I think we, you know, uh, biasly have some of the smartest, best and brightest um, people who are helping us oversee these assets. So, uh, yeah, you know, you hit it on the head and, and the craziest thing we, um, we're seeing right now is that it's on not only the facility, like the, the sales side, it's also on the internal side, the rate side, um, and just what's absolutely happening in the market. Um, it's, it's bonkers. We, we've got people that are paying at, at numbers that, like you said, I, I don't know how, even in a perfect scenario, 
this is going to work out or, or, or be good. Mm -hmm. And well, it's even I, like that one deal that we were looking at that was close to home for us that uh, they were expecting um, what was like a 30 day due diligence and close. And I mean, it was just like a crazy astronomical expectation. And um, there was somebody else that was going to come in behind us that was going to close in like just days. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it was just it 1031 was, money that they, you know, had to play somewhere or what the situation was. But again, that, that illogical, weak. just craziness where sight unseen, no due diligence, no nothing. Like we're just buying the storage facility and everything. We're like, yeah, we're out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> you have fun with that one. Like, People are coming yeah. in 600,000 hard day one. You're going, what? No due diligence. So, um, <sighs> It's wild. It's 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 wild out there. And I think you you guys hit on something too. You know, we used to see that big time in first tier markets, but I think the big shock to the industry is the spill out to all yeah. the other markets, to second, third tier markets. It's all of a sudden it's all up. It's it's all people are acting the same way, which is illogical, and you shouldn't be having those kind of things happen in those type of markets. Um, but we're we're there, and we're seeing it. Yeah, no, crazy. I mean, again, just you know, I know it can be sometimes arbitrary, or you know, you might have a different litmus test of what's a being tertiary market to KO or to to your organization. But you know, when I start to see. Um, you know, publics and extra space, albeit they might be third-party management, or when I start to see private equity and REITs starting to come into some of these markets where, you know, I remember a few years ago, I was sitting talking to an executive at one of the, you know, the big uh, four, and it's like, you know, look outside your window. You know, you have more people in a 10-mile radius than the entire state of Montana. We will never go to Montana. You know, now we have 300,000 square feet there between three stores. And, you know, guess who's calling looking for that um, package in that portfolio? So, again, even, you know, you're seeing the buying criteria, which is driving down the cap rates, which is making it harder, which is, um, you know, educating more and more of these sellers. So it's, it's just crazy times. Um, and yeah, you definitely got to get a lot more creative on how you add value. You know, used to be you could just take over anything and raise rents, run it in your expense model, and you're you're a winner. And now it's like we have to add a development piece, or we have you know, there's just there's more layers, and we have to really see that value where others don't in a in a little bit of a deeper way or a little bit more of a stretch without without putting ourselves in a position where we're going to buy something where you need ten out of ten to go right, uh, you mm -hmm. know, to make it make a success out of it, which we you know probably like you guys refuse to do. So for sure. Well, no, I was I was going to ask you guys. I mean, with with this added competition with uh, the craziness going on. I mean, what are some of the most common things you're seeing and how are you addressing those, those issues that didn't used to be issues before? Really? It's just unrealistic numbers. And um, you know, whether it's before a lot of our deals were coming off market more and more, we're having to go to broker deals because brokers have learned that they can do what we do, which is call every owner and ask them if they want to sell. And even if they don't get a commitment, you know, they're toying it and they're teasing it out there. And so it's, it's, it's having to get, 
you know, better relationships with the brokers for one, so that you get access to these deals that maybe a seller didn't agree to take to market, but they said, if you can get me a number, I'll take a look at it, you know? And so getting access to that kind of information, having to shake a lot more trees on the natural sourcing side. And um, really like a lot of what we're doing now is, is buying a facility, probably a little bit lower than we typically buy it on the inbound cash flow, but there's a couple acres to develop and we know the market's nuts and it's at hundred percent occupancy. So we're, you know, uh, coming into it with that being the biggest value driver or value add uh, as we enter it. Yeah. And, you know, just to, to compound on that, um, you know, I was going to say kind of something similar that, you know, we talked about this multiple times being, you know, the inverse of other real estate asset classes. And you've got this industry that's ripe for consolidation. And, you know, is, has it gone down from 75% to 70 or is it 60 You know, I'm sure we've all seen some of the same figures and I'm sure, you know, there's a good pulse on it. What that true number is, I don't know, but we all know it's being consolidated in front of us. So you've got that number one, but number two, as you know, our organization grows, you know, we're a 20,000 square foot facility, maybe used to be enticing, appealing, et cetera. Now the same amount of brain damage to going through one of those acquisitions goes into the same. So, you know, I don't know if you have, you know, just a very tight you know, list of criteria of, you know, what you will or won't buy. But, you know, for me, or at least for us, um, you know, we want, you know, scale to, we want, you know, three, five, six properties as part of a portfolio. So at least for internal acquisitions, it's harder because you're limiting, you know, you've got that consolidation and you have less and less targets to go after. So I would say you've got that market shift and then we've also changed a little of our, you know, demographic of who, you know, are desirable purchases. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's interesting for us as we're looking at deals out there. First of all, the sheer amount of deals we look at. So we are underwriting, like truly underwriting 20 plus deals a week. And that doesn't count all the deals that we never actually got to underwriting. Right. And, um, we're not doing, obviously that many deals. We're not doing anything close to that. I mean, we have um, like five deals under contract, but that should give you an idea, uh, right? So one of the biggest thing, and right now all the deals we have under contract are off market. Um, So it's changed dramatically from last summer. All the deals were on market that we were buying. We, that it's almost like we just got pushed out of that game. It was just like, we're like kind of going, oh, geez. And, you know, we're, we don't want to change our criteria. We don't want to change our um, strategy. We don't want to play those games. So the amount of work that we're having to go through, right, it's just gotten way, way more um, mm-hmm. to get the exact same um, you know, kind of properties. And with that said too, we do adjust our future projections. So we're adjusting down our future projections. Cause we're like, we're the, you know, and, and I've been very open about this in the self-storage industry. The last five years are not going to happen again. You are yeah. not, the next five years will not be the last five years. <laughs> like that, that astronomical performance that we've seen over the last five years will not continue. I, I got a uh, number. So we have the inflation numbers that came out uh today let me go seven and a half five (laughs) yeah and it was interesting because what i found what we found on here was that 
I took and I asked her CFO, let's go back through now and see our rates. So what happened, right, with inflation and the rates? Last year, our average street rate across our portfolios rate increase was 40%. So when you average it out, that's where we were hitting last year. Right now, in street, uh, in, 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 in rate average increase was 16%. I put this all on Twitter. Anybody wants to go see from there, we were projecting 25% uh, this year increasing, but I got to tell you, it's probably going to be more than that. I mean, it's uh, inflation right now. You know, it's, that's one of the reasons self storage is great because we can adjust so quick to inflation. Um, But with that saying, I feel like everybody's underwriting, like those things are going to happen for the next three or four years. And that's how they get to a buy number. So that's what we did. When we're underwriting, we have a 7% yearly increase. Although I know today I'm going to get a 25% and we're probably going to get a 25% increase this year, right? On average, I'm underwriting at seven. Because I don't know that that's going to happen. You guys are underwriting at five. Yeah. Yeah. And, yep. and, and, <laughs> yeah. and we do too. We'll change from five to 10% depending on the location. So we'll look yeah. at other ones where we would never go over 10%. And sure. two, that rate, inc- that rate increase, that we only put it at that. So if we, had, if we had a specialty market that showed a history, we'll go up to that 10, but it'll only be for like one or two years because we're like, okay, yeah. we can see that. Other than that, it's got to go straight back down. Um, but- what I'm seeing in underwriting is people are not putting five and 7%. Um, and it's pretty unrealistic. I think. I agree. I, uh, I would second that. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's disheartening almost too. Cause you know, when you see some of these pro formas that might be broker prepared or, you know, they're talking other offers, I think we all know that it's an unrealistic or lofty expectation for it to continue. Admittedly, I have no idea when that day comes where it ends, but um, yeah, I mean, to my earlier point, it's just, I can't see how some of these organizations and groups um, are doing it. So kudos to you all for, you know, continuing to grow and, you know, acquire and find off market deals. It's, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the next six, 12, 18 months hold, you know, is there going to be a correction or some of these assets going to, you know, come back full circle to those who, you know, didn't buy properly. Um, you know, as we've said before, you can't out buy yourself out of paying too much. You know, well, and yeah. you guys too, you guys are still performing, but are you guys doing more development? Like how has this shifted your strategy? So when you're looking over and saying, you know, once again, we there, there's going to be a correction because there always is. I don't know exactly how interest rates are going to affect it, but inflation was at seven and a half percent. The inflation is now higher than any of us have ever seen in our entire lifetimes. That's shocking. So in, in interest rates, the last time we had inflation this high, interest rates were over 8%. Uh, that's a pretty big, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but that'll have a big effect on valuations. Are you guys right. developing now? Are you guys, how are you, how's your strategy or what are you guys trying to do to adjust with this crazy time? So one of the shifts we made in early 21, we were just not satisfied with the, uh, delivery time, the cost, the quality that we were getting from any kind of GC we'd hire. Um, I'm sure you've encountered the same, but you try to get a project done and 
whether it's Trocty or whoever, you know, they're telling you six month lead times on delivering the steel. And, uh, you know, you got to put half your money down up front and then, you know, things shift and things change. And so we, we started our own construction company at the beginning of 21, which, um, really has kind of gotten legs. So we're GC and everything ourselves. We've got two to three crews right now, trying to get it up to seven crews that do all the steel erections. Uh, we teamed up with a really good steel supplier that's been able to, you know, give us preferential treatment and put us at the front of the list and shorten those lead times to more like 15 to 16 weeks. Um, and, you know, we'll outsource the excavation and concrete, but from a development side, uh, being able to build like that uh, with our own internal team is, you know, we've been able to do it and keep the cost per foot reasonable, uh, nowhere near what we were able to do three, four years ago, but reasonable and the delivery windows close and oftentimes, now, you know, to, to, you know, we'll still find the occasional gem, right? The $8 million inbound seven and a half cap that yeah. has no software, but that's fewer and further between. It's a lot yeah. more frequent. We'll get a, you know, four property portfolio and each one has a half acre and you can pop in another 20, 30,000 square feet and you can push rates, but you know, to, you're going in at a five and a half, six cap and to get it mm-hmm. over a nine, which is what we need to do. And, in, in, you know, our model, you got to build and lease up uh, adjacent to it. And that's kind of how we're getting there in the new model. Now it's still pretty de-risked in our mind because when we go into these markets, they're not oversupplied. They're at a hundred percent. They still are a mom and pop facility, but it used to be, you could accomplish that just operationally. Um, and it's, it's not to say we can't, but that that's more and more of what we're having to do to get there. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. Yeah. We're seeing all operators that are, you, you know, but I, I want to make this distinction. You guys are much more like us. We focus, the opportunity is in the asset. Okay. I think a lot of people, especially people that are just getting into this industry, the opportunity is placing capital. That's a yeah. very different thing that I don't think a lot of people understand. Um, Your opportunity lies in yield extraction. That's how we work. We have yield extraction that gets us our opportunity, where lots of people in the real estate game, the opportunity is to move capital from here and put it here. And we get paid for moving capital around. Um, Self-storage is unique in the fact that operators and particularly good ones, we can really affect that revenue, right? We can really change and get yield. So a lot of the operators like you, us, and and a lot of operators that we have on this podcast, right? That's the focus. So when we're looking at changing in prices and everything that's happening, we're looking at the impact on the yield that we're going to extract. And that changes how we see value. Other people simply look at the value of like the market or a cap rate overall, how that'll extend out and if they get the yearly increases. Um, I think that it's pertinent for anybody listening to this podcast. um, That's where the focus on value should be. And if that's out of whack, uh, meaning if you're just expecting the market to make you, and I talk about this a lot, if you just, oh, the market will rise. Well, the market, yeah, the market can bail you out. But that's hoping and praying and gambling, and that's not a strategy. What you guys are doing is an actual strategy. Very different. Yeah, you know, and hearing your story, you know, obviously heard it in passing, but when you spoke at the uh, uh, income event up in mm-hmm. Coeur d'Alene, it just really it was reminiscent because it's it's similar to us. You know, it wasn't like we sat out, you know, and said, "Hey, let's go start a self storage company and build this and scale it and everything else." It was. 
let's put our money into, you know, an asset and see what happens. And then we did it again and again and again, and, you know, kind of realized at a certain point, this is where all of our focus should be. And, you know, I think to your point, uh, we're not in this, we're doing a roll up. We're going to, you know, get all of the benefits of this roll up, (laughs) but we're not underwriting it with the roll up being the only value creation. Right. Yes. You know, there's no doubt in my mind with a portfolio of our size in today's market, we could get a four to four, four to five cap for it. I mean, hundred percent all day long. Right. And in no world am I buying at that level. Um, so, you know, in some people's mind, it's like, okay, we got a capital group. We got quarter of a billion dollars here to deploy and we know we can exit at a four. We're just going to buy anything we can get our hands at at six. And I don't care about the operations. Yeah. You're arbitraging the roll up. Right. Yep. And that's not something we've ever wanted to do. You know, we, we still want the value creation to come operationally and the roll up is going to be the icing on the cake that none of us planned on. And it's just going to be there and it's going to be incredible. So well, in, and the point that you make too, is that the arbitrage between cap rates are subject to cap rates being <laughs> what they are, meaning yeah. that only works is if your prediction upon cap rate. So if interest rates move up to try to come, combat this crazy inflation they go up two points and your four and a half cap right is now worth a five and a half cap or more that value creation just disappeared it evaporated so you need to be looking and saying yes we see that value like you guys do yeah we get this roll-up value right it's one of the huge things that we do we leverage operations we roll it up we get new valuation right that's great that's awesome but it's not dependent on that you have cash flow you have yield if it happens great if it doesn't you guys can wait and you can be opportunistic when do achieve that value right when do we extract that but a lot of people have like limits and they have to it's i think a lot of people moving in the industry now are putting themselves in more of a scary position mm-hmm. well, and i think one of the distinctions to make you know that you know i maybe started on and you really you know, eloquently touched on is, you know, I look at now today, the difference, you know, I like to delineate between literally just capital groups and operators, you know, mm-hmm. self-storage is now the sexy girl dance, right? It is, yeah. like I said, it's not the flyover asset class. It's, you know, when we first got into it, a lot of people were talking about barriers to entry. I don't even hear that being broached anymore. <laughs> but I mean, again, I don't even think I hear that anymore. It's now it's how quick can I find some dirt in a wreck? Okay. So again, I think that's part of the issue is, you know, there's so much because of, you know, the money that's being printed. There's so much in COVID and people not deploying it. It's harder to find good yield. They're throwing it here. They're driving down the cap rates with no idea really what they're doing. They're not storage operators with capital groups. They have deep pockets. Whereas, you know, we understand, you know, the cycles and the the nuance and intricacies of the, the game. So we have a more robust, you know, call it uh, idea on if A doesn't go right, you got B, C, and D, you know, we have a plan B just like you do. So I, I think that's another thing that's just really crushing some of this market. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting. I mean, there's no doubt, you know, I think the Fed, I think it was the St. Louis Fed a couple hours ago, even today, is indicating he'd support a one point one hundred basis point 
update, you know, on the Fed funds rate by July, and they're projecting at least a 50 basis point update by March. You know, if you're watching the treasuries or FHLB rates, I mean, every one of those has been climbing exponentially in the last couple of weeks. We all knew it was coming, right? And it's not a surprise. And, you know, as that happens, one, what does that mean for the buy side? And I, I don't know, you know, I mean, I know there's enough capital out there, at least in public markets with all the printing that the Fed's done that, um, you know, I don't think at the A grade level, it's going to directly impact cap rates. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw a presentation that was done at the uh, SSA trade show on kind of the overall cap rates uh, from Montana, but they did some sensitivity analysis. I'm like, okay, rates go up this much. Here's what's going to happen to the cap rates. And it wasn't as impactful, um, at least at the higher levels, but, you know, when you're talking, you know, mid-tier smaller operators, you're going to go to a community bank and they're going to tell you a five and a half percent interest rate. Does your deal support that? Does it work? And if you're going to try to sell it and someone else is getting that debt, are they going to pay as much as they were? And the answer is going to be no. I mean, it's, it's going to be. And, and we know that's coming. It's a question of how big is it going to be? Are you positioned to ride that out? Um, you know, and, and what do you do? And, and for us, you know, like you guys, it's probably a timing issue. You know, you want to time your sales at the uh, low end of the interest rate cycle and, you know, buy, buy when you will. And kind of, it's interesting, the uh, shift in how we've looked at storage from, you know, <laughs> operational issues and auctions and this and that to kind of a more macro look now. And I think one of the mm-hmm. favorite episodes I heard you guys do was that I think it was like the death of self-storage or something like that. Yeah. The podcast you did, yep. Where you're just trying to predict what are all the possible ways that this could go south. And um, that's something I'm always looking for, you know, yeah. interest rate oversupply. Those are the two big ones. Two what big else ones. could go wrong? Right. Exactly. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and too, that is a, I think I feel like, uh, there's a lot of cheerleaders out there, right? So we have lots of cheerleaders in self-storage. I'm a cheerleader, obviously. Um, oh, yeah. But I find that the professionals and the good operators, right? it's not that you shy away from the bad things. It's that you dive in deep. It's like, no, I really want to see what could kill us. I want to right. really understand that. And I want to run down those mental pathways to explore these options. I want to explore how... Um, the unthinkables may play out. And, you know, when you look at it, I, I view it, we don't want to be a taxi company. We don't want to be like, oh, Uber is not a big deal, right? We never want to be in that boat because- blockbuster theory. <laughs> exactly. So let's yeah. really explore this. Netflix and didn't think streaming would ever be a thing. <laughs> it's crazy, right? And I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. And two, also, I feel that if we can all identify the risk- well, then as us as an operator and as someone that takes on people's money, we can avoid it. And that's yep. really what people that are looking to uh, invest and invest with other people's and operators, that's that's our job. Our, yep. our job is to get yield, but it's not to get yield at any cost. Those two things, that's not how that works, right? We need to achieve yield and we have our desired returns, but we also need to be fully aware of the risk that comes with different strategies and, and investing. Um, and I think right now there's a lot of people that in self-storage aren't looking at that. They're not looking at it at all. Um, they view, listen, we survived the great recession. It went great in COVID. In fact, it went nuts in COVID. Um, this thing is untouchable where I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that any asset or any business model in the world is untouchable. And anyone that thinks that, you should stay away from them. 
read history and find me something mm-hmm. that's ever been untouchable. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, let's just recognize what those things are, play it out in our heads and stress test that in our models. Where are you guys seeing the risk and where are you guys looking to say, these are things that we, we, we these are the things that we're looking to see if they play out or how they may play out. I was just going to ask you the same. Uh, you know, when you're having those you know, conversations, you're it's, saying, there's the obvious one. Yeah, there's the obvious ones, but it's like, what are the unobvious? You know, what's the black swan? And that's what we're always looking at. And what I always kind of come back to is any bubble, right? There's the macro factors and there's the macro bubble, but then there's like what actually happens behind the scenes, right? You know, whether it's the housing bubble, the dot-com bubble, like you name it, right? And there's this public um, image like, oh, you know, housing went bust in 2008. Well, what, the, what does that mean? I was I just graduated college. It meant nothing to me, right? But for a lot of people, it meant the market's cut in half, right? It, you know, housing, everybody's upside down in their mortgage. Uh, you call it, there's all these issues. Well, if, if let's just say, Someone says, you know, three years from now, well, self-storage is in a bubble. You know, demand's waning. It's not what it used to be. There's oversupply. Interest rates are through the roof. What does that specifically mean for us, right? What does that mean for you guys? And, you know, what I've noticed and when I'm every time I played out in my head, okay, how are my interest rates? Do I have good long-term debt in place that I can ride out any up and down or we can ride it out, right? Um, how are our micro? Uh, economies looking, you know, in any of these markets we're playing in, are they specifically oversupplied? I don't care if the rest of the country is oversupplied, mm-hmm. if my towns I'm in are undersupplied, right? Yes. And so, you know, as I look at it, it's like you got to be aware of these macro factors, but more specifically, don't get hung up on talking macro, just use it to see how it impacts you microly. And that's how you need to prepare and react. And so that's really what we've tried to try to do. Um, you know, the biggest thing is always starts with buying right because if you buy right you're not gonna get underwater but from there it's just everything you do from financing to structuring to you know we're doing some refinances now we're locking in seven year money at three and a half we're cashing out our investors 100 percent. the debt service coverage on those is going to be north of one four one five is that aggressive some may say yes i'd say it's conservative you know and and those are the kind of those are the kind of thoughts that go through our head as we look at kind of preparing for what could be a three or four year change in the cycle. And if you're positioned to ride it out, nothing changes for you. You're still cash flow and you're still running and you just don't sell uh, when people are paying seven cash. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I, and that's the, you hit on a really good point there. It's the option. You have that option, right? You're in control of uh, exercising that option. And that is something that we're, when we look at, the future and particularly constructing deals and how we're going to go about things. That's a big, big thing. We're really looking at, we need to be able to be flexible in our structure and our style and have control that we don't get ourselves in an accidental position where we have to exercise options on an asset to sell or whatever it may be in a time that is completely the wrong time because we don't know how things will change. And I view that a lot of people, that's where they get hurt the most, where it was like, you know, well, you would have been fine. So you would have been fine if you didn't have to, if you weren't forced into a position to sell, to refinance, to do something when the markets weren't conducive for it. So we're putting a lot of emphasis right now on that overall existing structure and how that's going to play out, what that looks like, and what are... 
um, abilities are going to be over the next five years. And we don't want to put ourselves in a position where in two years we have to refinance and it's, we don't have a good, uh, the LTV because of rising interest rates or whatever it is, it isn't conducive. And now you're in trouble. You got to avoid that. What are, what are you doing to prepare? I was just going to say, so might I ask, you know, since the last time when it was quarter lane or we had this, you know, not what, what has changed or what, you know, have you looked at differently that maybe was not on your radar six, nine, 12 months ago to ensure, um, you know, avoiding these landlines. I'd be curious to hear. Longer terms. So lots of times we're really trying to, I mean, 10 years out, um, prepayment penalties are a big deal for us. We want to refinance in three year after that value creation is, and then we want to roll it into a non-recourse loan. That's generally our strategy, but we, we really want, when we're looking at going down that road, it's, that needs to be an option. Meaning we can refinance in 10 years, but we're, we're putting that out for 10 years. We have a lot of ability to adjust and also the staggering of when those things come due, meaning I don't want 50% of my portfolio to come due in all two years, right? Then all of a sudden, those two years better be really good years. If not, I could get in trouble. So when are loans coming due? When are, when are those terms? What are they at, right? Just give me more time to roll through any bad market cycles that aren't necessarily affecting the asset itself. Meaning we could have great cash flow, but the markets may be all screwed up. You know, a lot of people don't realize the, the first three months of coronavirus, right? It was like the markets started to freeze. CMBS markets started to shut down and freeze. Now the government quickly interjected, but I've seen that now twice in my working um, history investing markets that shut down. So the debt markets like ended, right? Um, that's twice. I'm 37. That's happened twice in my investing career, right? Uh, so I don't want to be caught in one of those, <laughs> those times. So that's a big thing is when they come due, um, how long we have the options, penalties associated with it and staggering, you know, just trying to stagger them out. That's a, that's a big one. Makes sense. What kind of curiosity and probably beneficial for everyone, you know, what kind of lenders are you guys using? I mean, we built our business using community banks and we continue to do so. Um, you know, Us too. Some of the refis, we're doing our credit unions, you know, we're yeah. constantly getting some type of offer from like a LifeCo or a debt group or CMBS and they've, you know, some seem more attractive than others, but have you explored any of those other capital markets yet or still kind of sticking to the, I mean, we car? have, so we've done CMBS, uh, markets. Um, uh, we've tried life insurance companies. They haven't been as competitive, right? So mm-hmm. on uh, a lot of the CMBS markets on our non-recourse, but sure. most all our, our debt, uh, like you guys, it's regional banks and credit unions. They have yeah. the best terms. They're the easiest to work with. Uh, you know, even as it's hard because like a lot of people may say, oh, well, where you guys are at, you know, you guys have a hundred plus facilities. You guys, we're talking in lots and lots of assets and big, but to a lot of the national banks, you guys got to understand we're still small. Yeah. And so they don't, it's like, they don't really want to play with us. They're like, and so it's not favorable where as those regional local banks, they get it. They want to deploy the asset. They're really looking for good partners. And that's how we view it. We want to be a good partner and we want to have a good debt partner. And to this point, same thing as you guys, that's where we've seen the most opportunity. And I think that's extremely important. I think, you know, it's 
you know, something that's really helped the growth of our business is, you know, the relationship banking. Uh, you know, one thing that, you know, maybe it's short-sighted on our parts is more important than the lowest, lowest possible interest rate. We'd rather go to a bank that, you know, we can build that relationship when we do hit an error or something drastically changes, our bankers a phone call away and they understand fluidity and can work with us to work our way out as opposed to locking in you know, 299 or three money at five, seven years, but you're at, you know, one of the big, big, big banks where you to your point, you're still just a number and you're a small one at that. So we found that extremely helpful and important in the growth of our business as well. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and that's such a great point too, is, I mean, not always the, uh, the cheapest op- option is not always the best, you know, in, in anything. Um, and it's like, there's so much, this podcast has been like so amazing because there's so much to unpack here because we're talking about <laughs> like the, the underwriting portion of this where, you know, you're going in, you're buying right, you're not over leveraging and, and so many issues throughout these, these times that the market has froze has been, if you were experiencing issues is because you were over leveraged. Right. And it's, and it, so it's like the underwriting portion you're underwriting correctly. You're not underwriting at these insane pro formas and, and banking on that. Again, you're talking about you're you're going in very conservative. You're planning for this icing on the cake potentially, but if that doesn't happen, cool, you're still set, you know. And then the other thing too that I think is interesting about this is is as we're as we're talking about all these things and these issues that we're looking at and these potential changes in these markets, you know, at a macro and micro level, whatever that looks like. Um, honestly. Regardless of whatever time in history I believe people are investing in, these are all things absolutely you should be considering. You know, at what point should you? I mean, if you got access to cheap money, yeah, tie it up, get that, get it secured. Um, it, it, there's not going to be like, okay, well, at this point in time, I'm going to do this. At this point in, in time, I'm going to do that. Like a good deal is always a good deal, regardless, and you can make that a good deal, regardless. Um, and I think no matter what point in time we're in, obviously none of us know what the future is going to hold. If things make sense at any point in time, they just make sense. Um, yeah. Where it's like, you know, we're talking about all these kind of things that we're working through and things we're figuring out. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, these might be some new revelations we're, we're thinking about in the storage industry and applying, you know, to our investing. But I mean, this is stuff we should be doing all the time. <laughs> you yeah, know? I mean, regardless of asset class or 100%. industry or anything, there's always cycles. I mean, every, mm-hmm. everything goes through it. And, you know, they all hit this. You've seen the graphs like that uh, euphoria correction and, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. the point of reason or whatever, whatever it is. Right. But like, you know, the more the more and more we think about this, it's like, you know, you, you can get kind of hung up um in the day-to-day and lose sight of the bigger picture sometimes because you're so focused on what you're doing and it's literally as simple as reading history you know something Mm -hmm. becomes super popular there may be some economic factors driving it everyone rushes to get in people completely overextend themselves because they're late and they're chasing it they get burned the steady eddie grinders from the beginning are there to pick up the pieces and then they keep going and then you kind of hit stabilization and you know in every other real estate asset class it's happened i mean commercial residential you know you name it it, it, they've gone through those cycles and they're there and you know industrial i mean industrial is incredible right now um and and self-storage you know admittedly is under the radar till about five or six years ago and in the last two years it's just 
gone off the charts. And so the question is, is where is that peak point of euphoria? And you can never pick it, you know, no different than trading a stock. The closer you try to get to the top, the worse you're going to do trading because you're constantly chasing that, that top point. So, you know, it's balancing and managing. And, you know, we're a couple of our early deals that we've hit to the point where we've completely optimized them and there's nothing else we can do, but that annual 5% for us yep, increase. Yep. Um, we might take some chips off the table and sell a couple and, and yep. wash, rinse, repeat and redeploy that capital. So hundred um, percent. we're looking at the same, nothing wrong with that. Nothing <laughs> wrong know? with that at all. Nothing wrong yeah. with that at all. And you know, we're looking at the same when it, it, it gets to points. You got to know when it's like, okay, um, if there's an inefficiency, are we taking advantage of the inefficiency? Because we take advantage of the inefficiency when it's the other way around. So when prices and things get slaughtered, we're in there gobbling up. We want to buy everything that we can. We're like, it's not priced correctly, right? I mean, we made hay in 2000, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, because we're like, everybody lost their mind. I mean, we were buying storage facilities up for like 20 bucks a square foot. Like <laughs> very, very well said on the inefficiency. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. well said, or, you know, not as well said, but you just be dumb not to. You'd be you dumb know, not true. to. Yeah. You gotta, yeah. you gotta look at it and you gotta say, listen, things are not working the way they should. Um, and now once again, we're, we're, we're saying this, everybody, we've got, you guys have got lots of deals in the pipe. We've got lots of deals in the pipe. We're finding them, we're doing them, we're talking about overall. So there's people in the market that are acting inefficiently. That doesn't mean you have to, that doesn't mean that everybody is, but they're in there and they're, they're very noisy right now. We're seeing them, they're actually gobbling things up in ways that the financing and the market's allowing them to do, which didn't happen three, four years ago. So even if somebody wanted to make irrational moves, there was no backing for them to do it. Now there is. So if there's the opportunity and it's inefficient, you, yeah, you might as well allow it and uh, take advantage of it. Um, that's what we do. Right. And there's nothing wrong with it. Hey, and, 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 you know, I think it's probably important for your listeners too. I mean, I, I don't pretend to know what the audience base looks like, but I'd imagine there's a lot of, a lot of operators out there that have maybe a couple of facilities, right. Or a mm-hmm. little bit smaller scale. I mean, you know, the way you guys are talking, the way we're talking, you know, we're, we're up there in size, right? So yeah. these, these macro factors, the bigger deals are weighing on us. And part of it, you know, we got to look in the mirror a little bit and say, is part of this due to the market or is part of it due to the scale that we're trying to achieve too? Yes. You know, I mean, it's, it's a lot harder to find a, a seven cap at, at 10 to $15 million than it is at one to $1.5 million. So as you're, as you're looking at the entry level stuff, I mean, I still see a lot of 300, 400, 800 K deals out there that for somebody that's just looking to get started and rip and roar. I mean, literally if I went broke tomorrow, what would I do? I'd go work a bartending job until I saved up 50 grand and I'd buy a storage facility for 250 and I turn that 50 into 500 in a year or two. Right. And that, that opportunity still exists. That, well you know, that, that, that compression is not happening at the bare level. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of money to be made down there for people that are willing to do that. You know, where we're at, where you're at, you know, we're looking to buy 2 million square feet this year, right? That's, yep. that's a different that's layer. And that's where you're going to compete with a lot of this stuff that we're talking about today too. So. Well said, you know, and I, I, I tell people if I could go down market, I could get better returns. 
And I mean that. Like if I went down to starting out smaller assets, smaller markets, I could get much better returns than I can get now because the inefficiencies are much, much larger. And the big guys that are all competing and they're driving down those prices, they don't go down there. They can't. The economics don't work for them at that level. So all of a sudden, those owners, operators, you take what you can get and there's just way more inefficiencies. Um, yeah. you, so you're a hundred percent right in market cycles. Like we're, we're at today, that craziness floats to the top. It's that yeah. is big money moves that are doing massive pressure on cap rates. And we need to get the yield that we've been talking about and extract inefficiencies from other operators that we're buying it from at scale. That is yep. way different than if I wanted to go buy a $500,000 storage facility in a small town an hour away. Right, it's it's not the same conversation. They're gonna <laughs> we just, they're gonna sell our finance, and then I'm gonna just, run it in double prices. Right, it's not the same. Yeah, no, we just bought a six hundred thousand dollars facility, which is way out of nature for us, but it happened to be five minutes from something we own, so it was a no brainer, right? And that that facility is worth a million plus in a year for us, no question. Uh, yep. it, we don't even have to do anything. I mean, it's literally just putting it into our operating model. So that's where that kind of clicked too. Is like those those are still out there, but 100%. trying to do this bigger and broader uh, is where, you know, the challenge happens and where a lot of that compression is happening too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was such a great point. Yeah. You know, um, with that, you guys mentioned you're buying 2 million square feet. Walk us through where, where are you guys, what are you guys, what's your outlook for the next two years? What, what are you trying to achieve? And also are there areas that you're going or avoiding? You know, two years is a long ways away. And I think we're thinking more microly right now, you know, three months, six months, um, definitely two years in the back of our minds, but, you know, just crazy times, crazy markets. I admittedly don't know what two years out looks like for us. Uh, We're in 18 states as of today. Uh, I think short of, you know, Alaska and Hawaii, we'd be open uh, to looking where we can get scale. Uh, and that is geographically, uh, not overly cumbersome for our operations team to get to, you know, planes, trains, and automobiles definitely complicate things. Uh, in a utopian world, we'd build off our footprint. We'd find in areas and regions in which we already have a footprint and operations, but, you know, to continue to get this growth, we're looking, you know, a few years ago, you know, four or five years ago, no one really was looking here in the Midwest or as, you know, you all know, Idaho, you know, no one had even heard of Omaha, Nebraska. Now it's a really good hot pocket and you're seeing, you know, saturation. So we're looking in Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, you know, kind of that region where we feel the, the consolidation has not yet happened and we're maybe still a little ahead of the curve. Uh, so it's kind of where my head is at. Yeah, we're also without letting the cat out of the bag, having success in rural large markets, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, central Wisconsin, central Minnesota, things might be trading 40 to 60 a foot. Um, you know, you go up to Maine or, you know, upstate New York or some of these East Coast areas where the construction cost is the same. The land might be slightly more expensive, not a lot more expensive, but the rental rates that people are willing to pay and used to paying 
uh, for storage or for anything to live um, <laughs> are a lot higher. And uh, we're able to find a little bit more yield in some of those opportunities too. Um, we've done it in some rural California areas. Um, it's there's just a weird thing about some of these big ass states where people are just used to overpaying for stuff, yeah. regardless of what it is. It's definitely a harder, much harder business environment. Um, the licensing, even registering an LLC in New York is a different undertaking. Um, but if you can get through some of those hurdles, we've been able to find some yield in, in some of those markets too. It, it, we're really kind of a, open to a lot more markets than we would have been in the past um, just because the demand seems to be consistent across the entire country. So well, then our operations are in the best you know, place they've been in. You know, when yeah. we started as, you know, can we get in a car and be there in three hours? You know, now with a lot of good infrastructure in place, you know, with unrolling a very robust ERP system, that's going to really you know, help the organization. We're more confident in going outside of our traditional markets. Yeah. And, and also compounding in markets we're in, you know, we, we just put a, $1.3 million deal under contract in Texas. We wouldn't have touched, but we own a facility up the road. And that, again, we got an inbound seven and a half cap on. So it's like, even, even though we're still scaling, um, you know, I said to one of our investors the other day, it's like, we can provide that um, fragmented return at scale, right? You know, yeah. we're still able to go in and take down a one, two, three, $4 million deal and make it work and fit it in as, as long as we can get some, uh, some scale in a, in, a, in a given market. And there's still a lot of opportunity there too, that, that pays off pretty nicely. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned an interesting thing there, um, this correlation on building prices and rental rates. Um, and it, it, that's something I think really took a lot of people off guard um, over the last year. Um, where, you know, a huge portion of the markets we were looking at, you can't even, it doesn't work. You can't build there it, it, because the cost to build and expand shot so far up so quickly. It just outpaced a huge percentage of the markets in the United States where it was like, wow, we need double the rental rate income to make this work. And uh, um, we're finding that that really shifted our outlook and where we're putting developments and how we're doing it. Um, but it also put an outlook on where some of these markets have to go, meaning they're not going to be over swamped with new supply. We got a good runway here because you can't come in. You can't build at this price. You know, you're, you're going to have 50 cents a square foot in a market. You can't build a hundred dollars a square foot storage facility. That doesn't work. You can't pay yeah. your bills. So no, I mean, those got to come up. <laughs> People pre pandemic. I mean, I know guys that would GC and do everything themselves and handle and they get a job done for 18 to 20 a foot and it'd be fine. It wouldn't be paved, but it'd be, you yeah. know, class five gravel, a nice facility, Trocty or, you know, big supplier and it would be just fine. And, you know, now you're hard pressed to get stuff done under 40. I mean, you yeah. know, you can do it, but it's, 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 but it's, it's a challenge. And I think if you're challenge. going, if you're going out to a random GC, they're throwing out 50 to 60 a foot and that's traditional role of nothing, nothing special. Right. So, um, that kind of a rate. I mean, we bought a facility in South Dakota for 22 bucks a foot with 10 acres to build on and expand. I mean, we bought a lot in Wisconsin at 30 or mid thirties. Right. And that's, 
stabilize cash flow inbound, you know, rates to acquire, not, not build costs, which are now above that, not even counting the cost of land. It's just the development costs. So to your point, that's really helped in these markets that we play in. It's, it's hard for a, you know, random person to make those numbers work the way they used to be able to. Yeah. It, and that's not something that's turning around quickly. It's not. So, you know, you know, if you look at people like, oh, when steel prices come going to come back down. And if you actually look at the history of steel prices, they've never come down after a large increase. So you've yeah. never had them go up and then come. No, it's the new high. So they may come down. That may happen. But I don't know why we would expect it or think that it is because it's never happened before. If it happens, great. Um, but we need to be looking into markets that even if we're going to be developing in a year or two, if anything, I'm expecting prices to be, to be higher. I mean, we got we got seven plus percent uh, inflation rates, and we all know what's happening to all the soft costs, incomes, everything else like that. I mean, it's crazy out there. I mean, it is just prices are exploding. Um, so if you're looking at going into a new market, building takes a while. It is not a quick thing. So you need to be sure that that market can sustain that if all of a sudden you have a 30% rise in increase cost over the next year when you're starting to put it. Because builders don't say, oh, it's okay. We're just going to take that 30% increase cost, even though that was, you know, we bid you 30% last. Not how it works. We started our own construction company to avoid this. And believe me, we've had to waive our GC fees. We've had to do the erection at cost. I mean, we've gotten creative. I mean, yeah, dude, we scoped a project in Texas in October of 2020, and it's just wrapping up right now. And yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. we begged, borrowed, cheated, and steal, and we still came in, you know, about 15% over budget, but we got it done. You know, had that been a normal GC, it would have been 40 to 50% over budget easily. Easily. Not even Mm -hmm. even a question. Easily. And um, a lot of people are getting trapped with that. And, you know, you've done something that we've done too, and and, and this isn't... I, I, I love this because you guys just think so much like us, but it's like, how do we incorporate these aspects of our business so we can control them more so that it's within our ecosystem, right? So same thing, we're rolling out, um, getting our GC license now, but we've taken in all different angles of the business um, and different layers, technology, um, branding, everything else that we try to bring in to have control that helps you know us monitor and have control over those fluctuations. Uh, so I love that you guys are, are are doing that. Now, is your end goal? Is your end goal to sell out uh, to a big REIT? Are you in forever? Like, where what's, do you guys go? What's your end, AJ? What's your end goal? I my end goal. I'm just gonna buy BlackRock. I, you know, yes, that should <laughs> that should happen like a year, right? I mean, I BlackRock's not that year. big. <laughs> I pictured next Joe Rogan minus the controversy, man. This podcast thing's a good look on you. You know, talking about life and you know, (laughs) COVID chats. I mean, let's go. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Maybe maybe I should. uh, Yeah, I I should probably stay stir away from a little too much controversial stuff. I don't want to end up like Joe Rogan. But no, let's let's bring it on. Bring it on. But yeah, what are you guys doing? Uh, we want to we want to keep running i mean i um i don't think we've ever really established this is our five-year goal or three-year goal i think we know there's incredible opportunity in this space i think our 
company continues to scale. I mean, a year ago we had 25 employees today. We've got 125, um, you know, not lost on us either. Uh, we've, you know, everyone that's working for us is in a great spot and loves what they're doing. And then, and that's, that's nothing, nothing to blink at. It's not like we said, Hey, we go sell everything. What happened, you know, what happens. Right. And so there's a lot of thought given to that. Um, I think we're in an incredible space with incredible assets and ultimately we want to maximize the return. Um, and yeah. if that means holdings, that means doing some deal flow, which we're doing some deal flow. I think, I think deal flow is a good thing, but that doesn't mean you do the outright sale. Um, you know, but there's upreads, you know, where you can keep your management company and brand and roll under NSA. There's PE groups with balance sheet reshuffling. Um, one way or another, we're committed to getting investor money back in three to five years in most cases and letting them go from there, whether it's a sale or a refi or something else. But ultimately, we're in this, we're having fun. We're loving it. I mean, I love what I do. I, I think this model is replicated across a lot of asset classes. So if, you know, storage does slow down in three years and we want to tackle whatever the next one is, I think we've got the infrastructure and the team in place to do it. And a lot of the skill sets and things are transferable. So I don't want to predict that because yeah. the way we, we joke, I mean, a year here is seven years, it's dog years, right? Cause yes. like the change in our organization and what we think about, I mean, this, if we would have done this podcast a year ago, I guarantee you, we wouldn't be talking about capital markets and interest mm -hmm. rates and whatever, you know, yeah. the problems become different. So we just want to be aware of the options and, and really just focus on that. So long-winded answer, but I no, yeah. I love it. <laughs> what you, said. you know, we're having fun. We're enjoying it. You know, the other thing is, you know, we're working with our friends and family, you know, we really do enjoy it and it's, it's not lost on us. Uh, I think the other thing is we haven't slowed down long enough to really think about it. You know, we, you know, I joke that, uh, we're, we're running a, a sprint and as we're crossing that finish line, we've already started our next sprint, you know? Um, so we're having fun. And I think as long as we're having fun and doing that, we'll continue to be riding this out. Yep. I love that, man. Yeah. Just, just having fun and, uh, and adapting. That's another huge, uh, just, theme that I keep hearing throughout this whole entire podcast is just that, that ability to adapt to whatever's going on, you know, whether that's the opportunities, whether that's the risks, it's, it's just that constant adaptation, becoming infrastructure within the industry. Um, I love it, man. And that's, and again, like AJ said, I mean, that's, these are all the exact same thoughts and actions that we're taking with our company and, and how we're approaching things. And now it's just cool to see you guys and, and how much just incredible work you guys are doing. 125 employees, Guys, I mean, that's just, that's crazy cool. That's awesome. Uh, really excited to see where you guys keep taking all this stuff and, and what you guys do in the future here. Yeah, this Thanks. is this is awesome, guys. Appreciate you coming back on the podcast as well. Um, you know, love just seeing everything that you guys are, are out there doing. You're killing it. Where can we send everybody? What should we put in the show notes? Where can people go to find more about you, what you guys are doing, and see your success? Yeah, pretty easy. Andrew. KO Storage, John at KO Storage. I'm on uh, LinkedIn. John does more of the social media. I know he's on Instagram and Facebook and all that. So any one of those platforms, you can easily find us. Yeah, we're on LinkedIn, easily accessible, pretty responsive, not too famous yet. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, yet, nice. yet is the key word. Not like you guys. Not like you guys, you know, one day. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's just aj i just hang out in the background like, <laughs> i think you just be obnoxious enough and that's how it works 
So, well, right on, guys. Hey, yeah, yeah, you can do, you can do it, right? It's, but uh, thanks, guys, again for coming on. We'll put that in the show notes. Send everybody your way. Um, everybody, go check them out. Um, see the options and everything they're doing. Uh, we encourage to, and we will have uh, have both these guys on again. Thanks. Thanks, thanks guys. guys. Looking forward to it.